Hello, and welcome to Calming the Chaos Podcast, where we talk with people around the world who can help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm your host, Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor, certified eating disorder specialist, and advanced clinical hypnotherapist. Calming the Chaos Podcast is for those who want self-help resources and education. It's not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. And now, let the chaos begin. In this episode of Calming the Chaos, I'm here with Michael Schultes, and we're going to be talking about a topic that is sometimes not talked about, which is depression and how there can be shame attached to it, especially if you are in a public position of leadership. Now, uh, Michael Schultes is an ordained minister and uh, he is in Pennsylvania and he's gonna be joining us to share with us some of his struggles with depression. And uh, well, just he's very open about it and we're just gonna have a conversation about depression and the stigma that goes around it. Now, this is the darker time of the year, so a lot more people are struggling with depression and I think it will be very helpful to bring him right on up here. So welcome Michael Schultes to Calm the Chaos. Thank you, I'm glad to be here today. Yeah, so am I. I think it's a really good topic that we're talking about and hopefully can help out a lot of people. So let me hear a little bit about yourself. If you were going to do one of those elevator speeches or something <laughs> to give the viewers and listeners an idea of who you are and how you got to be doing the work that you do right now. Sure. Um, I uh, I grew up in, uh, uh, in the, the house with a, a pastor for a father and an organist for a mother. So faith was just kind of part of the air that I breathed growing up. Um, grew up in a, it, my father's the pastor of a Lutheran church and um, I grew up very active in the church, believing in God, believing in Christ and all that. Um, and uh, it was never my intention as a child to follow in my father's footsteps and be a pastor. In fact, I actively did not want to do that. I thought that is the worst thing in the world. Um, when I went to college, I studied math and physics and thought that I would end up uh, teaching one day in, uh, in one of those fields and found that wasn't as interesting as I thought um, and uh, ended up going to seminary. Um, and in my head, I only went to seminary because I wanted to learn more about God. I wanted to study some theology and I figured, well, maybe one day I'll, I'll start teaching theology instead of, uh, of physics. Um, and again, um, it's not quite how it turned out. It uh, it was only after a couple of years uh, out of seminary that it it finally occurred to me that uh, the reason why I wasn't a pastor was because I had deep inside convinced myself I was not good enough to be a pastor. That there was something severely wrong with me, and I could never do something like that. And uh, I had to deal with that in, in at least two ways. You know, one, I needed to to kind of accept that pastors aren't, you know, a, a higher level of person than other people. And the other thing I had to deal with was that I'm not a worse sort of person than other people. And I found the first one to be much easier to tackle. But um, uh, because, you know, it was at that 
point in my life that I realized that it was uh, it was the voice of depression, which I had struggled with since childhood that was really telling me, you can't be the thing that that you're supposed to be because you're you're a wreck and you're a failure and and that's all you'll ever be. And once I came to terms with that, um, I found the the path to being ordained was was remarkably smooth. Um, and uh, and I've been uh, now uh, serving as a pastor for 15 years in, in two different congregations. Wow. So you made the shift somehow to go to seminary, not to be a pastor really at first, but to right. learn more about God. And uh, so these two beliefs that you had about both pastors and yourself, they have to do about a quality of the person, the pastor's quality maybe not being so high and yours being very low yeah. quality that you perceived of yourself. Yeah, and that was um, was something that I had I had wrestled with since childhood. Um, when I was a when I was a kid, I was very moody. I was um, I would would overreact to things and 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 have you know what what I guess my family would call fits from time to time and just start yelling and and uh, or run into my room and and start crying or something like that. Um, and as I became a teenager. Um, I started to really notice how how much I hated myself, um, and I kind of thought everybody felt that way. I and and I guess there's 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 some of that in all of us, but um, but for me, it, it it became so strong that other people were were noticing it. Um, I I distinctly remember being at a uh, at an awards ceremony in uh, in ninth grade. And I was always one of the smart kids in school. I always won a lot of the academic awards. Um, but in in my seat that night, as as I was hearing these awards, you know, being read and and my name coming up several times, um, I heard this almost audible voice inside me screaming, "Fraud, imposter! If they only knew who you really were, they wouldn't do this." And um, and I didn't realize it at the time, but that was was really what I would come to learn, or what I would come to know as as the dark voice, which is what I, I call the the self talk that I have inside me. That still to this day tells me how useless and worthless and um, and, and what a failure I I am. Um, and that that's been one of the primary ways I've experienced depression in my life is as as this this nasty self destructive voice. Mm. Yeah, the dark voices of depression is what this episode is actually called. And when you realized it, you were only a teenager, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I at that point, I don't think I realized that I had, you know, um, a mental illness. I, I it, it was, sometimes I describe it as um, I don't have voices that, um, that I get confused whether there's someone else or not, like like someone you know with schizophrenia or some other illness might have. My voices are such that I get confused whether they're really me or not. And I think mm. at that age, I really just thought these these things are true. You know, this is, you know, I, these are the moments when I'm when I'm seeing myself for who I am, and mm. and I need to, you know, to to kind of hold on to this and make sure that I don't hurt anybody else because I felt like everything I did, everything I said was hurting people. 
Okay. Wow. And yeah, just such a young age being highly sensitive is the way I would put it, or having a lot of energy. And uh, if you have the parents who are going to be able to handle that or take you to counseling or something like that, then sometimes those things can be worked through. If that isn't happening, then maybe these beliefs will start to form about about yourself uh, over time and just get worse and worse. So then you realized that this was depression. I, I, well, you would, you didn't realize that this was depression at first. And uh, I don't know when you realized that this was actually a thing and it's depression. Well, it, um, it the, the, really the first time that, that it hit me um, in a big way was, um, was the time I was hospitalized uh, when I was a college freshman. I had uh, I had attempted suicide because I was convinced that this was the right thing to do. I was convinced that I was um, was hurting people so much, and that um, even though my death would cause some pain for those around me, I I really believed that it would um, it would save them from more pain in the future. And I thought I was I was doing the 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 brave thing, the, uh, the honorable thing to, to rid the world of, of my presence. And, um, and I, and I did, I, I got, um, uh, you know, I walked off, I was in college at the time and I, I went off campus and found a, a tree in a park and, and climbed it and was ready to hang myself in that tree. And, uh, and I was even praying for, for courage to do this. I, I, I really thought that, um, it, Maybe God wants me to do this, but even if God doesn't want this, God understands why it's necessary was kind of the thought process I had. So mm -hmm. I, I prayed for courage and strength to go through with this. And what happened while I was st standing in that tree with the, with the noose around my neck, um, suddenly I saw this bright light in the distance. And I, uh, you know, I think that in, you know, on one level, it was just somebody turning on their garage light or something like that. But, but on another level, it was the star of Bethlehem. It was the, 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 it was a sign from God telling me, no, don't do this. I love you. And we're going to get through this. So I climbed back down and went back, cra crawled back to my dorm room and went to bed and didn't tell anybody about it. I figured, well, I guess, I guess this is over now until about three days later i was feeling um physically sick i was feeling like i had a really nasty cold or flu or something so i went to the student health center at college and um i had heard that mono was going around i don't know if that was true or not but you know i wanted to get checked out and the nurse there said there doesn't seem to be anything wrong have you been under any stress lately and being the really sophisticated student that i was um i actually said well, I did try to kill myself three days ago, um, at which point the next two weeks of my life changed um, because I was not allowed to leave that building um, until I had met with the counselor there. And then when my parents came down to pick me up and I wasn't going to be allowed back on campus until I had a, you know, a doctor's note saying that I was no longer a, um, a danger to myself or others. And long story short, I ended up in... Um, in a hospital, uh, a psychiatric hospital, uh, for 11 days. And it was while I was there that I, I finally realized this is, um, this is real. 
This is, mm-hmm. this is something. And this is, and this is treatable. And uh, the, the two things that really struck me most in the hospital, and, and I, I must say, I had a really positive experience there. I know some people um, have horror stories about being in a, uh, in a psychiatric hospital, but I, I found it to be a, a really um, positive time once I got over the first few days of, you know, of anger at being locked up. Um, but the two things that really struck me there was, um, was one, the other patients there seemed so normal. They seemed like just regular people who were dealing with a crisis that they couldn't cope with, which meant maybe that's what I was too. Maybe I was just a normal person who was dealing with a crisis that I needed help to cope with. And the other thing was, uh, these were the days before cell phones, but uh, my father had given me his credit card and said, just use the payphone and make calls to anybody you need to at any time, just doesn't matter how much money it is because long distance was not free back then. And um, I spoke to so many of my friends from college, from high school, from, from other places, and they were all so brokenhearted about, um, about hearing this. Um, there was one friend of mine who refused to talk to me for a few months because she was so angry at me for, for this, which eventually when we, you know, when we, we kind of made up, um, I realized because she cared for me so much and, and that was kind of the first step towards realizing that, um, that maybe the, the, the inner voice I have is not always speaking the truth. And maybe there's, um, there's, there's, there's ways I can, I can find to, um, to deal with this in a, in a, in a way that doesn't lead to destruction like this. Well, so did you at that point in time, it sounds like that you were talking to people and maybe you had gotten uh, maybe some other beliefs in your mind about yourself. Uh, Other people obviously really cared about you. Could you actually start to care about yourself and think differently about yourself? Yeah, um, I started to. I started to. In fact, I mean, I, I was 18 at the time. And um, and I once I got out of the hospital, I felt like, well, I'm cured now. I, I realized what the problem was, and now I dealt with it, and now everything's going to be fine. Um, I just needed to, to remember, you know, that, 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 that other people cared about me. And, uh, and the other interesting thing is that actually, um, my faith grew through this. I, um, I started reading, reading scripture more and, and found, uh, a passage in, in Paul's letter to the Romans, where he says that, that absolutely nothing can separate us from, from the love of God, not life, not death, not angels or demons or, uh, anything in all creation can separate us from God's love. And, and that's what I felt at that time was that was that God's love was so strong that even my own um, self-destructive actions and thoughts were not they weren't even sufficient to, to keep God away. Um, so I, I started to to see that that um, that there were other voices I could listen to. And and you know after that I I kind of felt as though I had um, you know two voices talking to me. Uh, at any time, kind of like the, the the cartoon cliche of the angel and the devil on the shoulders that I had, you know, I had my inner dark voice of depression telling me, you know, these, these terrible things, but I had God's voice, you know, kind of whispering and saying, 
but I love you and I always have, and I have a job for you and you can do it. Um, and you know, of course, you know, the, the, the story I told before about when I, um, realized I, that I could be a pastor took place, you know, 10 years after that. So it was, it was not over. Uh, it's, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's an ongoing issue, but, um, but yeah, I, th I think learning, learning to, learning to hear other voices and, and, and give them some weight is, is really helpful. Right. And what, did you actually ever talk to anybody when you were even a little child about any of your thoughts or feelings when you noticed that you started to hate yourself? Did you ever tell anybody that? Not really, not, not, not directly. Um, it would come out. I, I had this, um, I had a couple of serious girlfriends in high school. I, you know, I say serious, they lasted for six months or whatever, which for me in high school was pretty serious. Um, and I would, there was something that I, I always did that I ended up kind of calling the mic treatment, which is there, there would, there would be a time when, when I would be, be sitting with, um, with my girlfriend and we'd be, uh, you know, talking about whatever. And then I would say, I don't know why you care about me. I don't know why you love me. I don't know why you're with me. I'm, I'm just worthless. I I'm just going to hurt you. And they, you know, she would respond. No, 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 you're great. I love you. This and this. Mm -hmm. And, and it would, and it would turn into a real argument. And, and I was really good at, um, at arguing the point that I was, was useless and, and was hurting them and was not good for them. And, and usually what would happen is it would eventually get to the point where, where she would start crying. And then I would suddenly realize what I had done and say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, but look what I did. See, I, I was right. You know, and it, it would, it would just be this, this very uncomfortable, um, you know, painful thing. So I think that's how I talked about it. Unfortunately, mm. as a, as a teenager is, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know how to talk about it openly. So it came out in other ways. Yeah. It just came out right about this, this thing and that you would be better off girlfriend without me because mm -hmm. I am this awfully flawed person and you're better off without me. And then it became an argument where you're trying to argue this case and then the self-fulfilling prophecy comes up, right? Because yeah. then it actually happens and I did the thing. And then now see, I'm this awful person, just like I said. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, so and, and it's, it's thoughts like that, that really led to, you know, to the suicidal ideation as well. You know, it just kind of was, was broader that, it, you know, it's not just that I'm bad for you it's I'm bad for this whole world. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, to get beyond those beliefs, you've got to do some reprogramming of the brain. And the first thing that you said was that you started to listen to other possibilities, other voices and other voices that were positive, one from God, from the Bible, or from the Apostle Paul, who is telling you that nothing can separate you from the love of God, and your friends when you were locked up in the uh, in the mental hospital, and uh, they were also telling you that they cared about you, some with anger, right? Yeah. I care about you so much, I'm angry at you trying to take yourself away from this world. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I am actually neglected to uh, talk about the fact that you have written a book. And um, so you 
obviously you wrote the book uh, recently it came out right mm-hmm. and yep. uh, but but you were writing it from the perspective of a pastor and uh, so you became a pastor what at age 28 or you started going to seminary at about, about age 28 you said that it was about 10 years after you yeah. were in the psych ward yeah okay so something must have happened in that 10 years how did you how did you come out of the psych ward and start living your life again with the possibilities of these new voices and maybe new things I can believe about myself. Well, I think in my twenties, um, I I was at least th- through through part of my twenties, I was still in in something of a denial about it. I I I like you know I thought I had been cured. I thought I had solved it, and I was really surprised when. Um, when I started feeling these things again from time to time. Um, but eventually um, I was probably in my late twenties when I, I finally decided I, I need to, to seek some, some professional help for this, some ongoing professional help. And I started seeing uh, a counselor and, you know, I, I I've had several, um, long-term counselors, uh, since then. Um, but you know, I've basically been in, in counseling not nonstop for the most part, you know, since my mid twenties. And that has been incredibly helpful. Um, because it's, if nothing else, it's, it's somebody who can ask the right questions and, and who can, can act as a really good mirror to the uh, the the things I'm I'm thinking and saying. One thing I've I've found is that the more I isolate, the more I keep my feelings and, and thoughts inside, the more dangerous they get. Um, I sometimes sometimes there's magic in just just saying the words I'm feeling horrible today um mm-hmm. because then it it kind of gets it out and 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 you realize it's not as complicated and as as universe altering as 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 you think it is in, as i think it is inside mm-hmm. um so there's you know i i think having that ongoing relationship with a counselor who who can understand and who can can listen and and reflect well uh, has been really helpful to me um, I've got a wife now who, uh, who is very, um, very loving and very, you know, she doesn't fully understand what, what it's like in, you know, inside the, the nightmare of my head sometimes, <laughs> but she, she believes me and she encourages me and, and sometimes kind of forces me to, to, to share and talk. And, and that's, that's what I need sometimes. Um, yeah, then it doesn't stay inside. And then mm-hmm. you're alone with your thoughts, walking through all of this darkness by yourself. And uh, so you have your wife and, and uh, you've had counselors and you you do say it out loud now, it sounds like, just oh, naming yeah. the feeling. And I think you had said when we talked before, embracing that brokenness, em- embracing the feeling that comes along. Yeah. And, and there's, um, you know, and since, you know, since 
you know, working in the church, being a full-time pastor, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's odd that, that I'm as open about this as I am. Um, I, I don't think it's rare for pastors to have depression. I think, um, something about, you know, the makeup of someone who, uh, you know, who would be called to a ministry like this is, you know, can also have, you know, the, the, those, those proclivities too. But, but I think it is uncommon for a pastor to be, um, to be talking about it openly in his congregation, the way I do. And I have found that, um, that that also has been incredibly healing for, for me and for my congregation. Mm-hmm. I decided, um, when at the current, the current congregation I'm at right now, I decided to, to kind of come open about it, um, within my first year there. Um, I, I kind of felt like, you know what, I'm, I don't want to hide this here and I just want to find out if they're going to accept me or not like this. And if they won't, then it's, then I'd just rather move on now. Mm. And so, um, so in a sermon, um, on a, you know, on a Sunday morning before, you know, 150 people, I, uh, I forget what the topic of the sermon was, but somehow or another, it was about, you know, we've all got things we struggle with. One of the things I struggle with is something called depression, and I explained what depression was and how I experienced it, and and what that was like. And um, and then I I said, and I invite you, if you're comfortable to do so, to right now say the name of of what it is you struggle with. And I expected to hear maybe two or three things. I expected to hear some coughs and some crickets, and um, but I didn't. It was amazing. I heard at least two dozen people call things out. Things wow. like um, cancer, things like struggles with my grandkids, um, and at least three or four people also said depression. And and kind of since then, it it has been okay to talk about that in in this church. Um, I I think pe- people come to me saying. I'm going through something right now and I don't know what it is and I, I, I need some help. And, and sometimes I talk with them a little about it. And, and sometimes I just kind of give them some resources and say, you know, this is where I go to counseling, you know, call them. They're, they're really good. And, um, and I think, I think more people are open about their own struggles with mental health than, than, than they would have been if I hadn't, you know, been open about that. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's, it's just kind of getting it out of, of being inside and, um, and it, it's so healing, um, or it can be, but it's also risky. You know, there's, uh, you know, there was another congregation I served where I came out about it and, (coughs) excuse me. And I, I didn't really receive much affirmation at all. It wasn't, nobody told me you shouldn't have said that or anything, but it was, it was awkward and it Mm -hmm. was, clear that they weren't ready to embrace that. Um, uh, what did you do? Right. What did you do with that? Right. Can you embrace that? Can you embrace the crickets? It was hard. It was, it was hard. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, it was only about a year later that I left that congregation and, and in retrospect, you know, I, I didn't think that was the reason at the time, but in retrospect, that was probably part of it, um, at least inside, is I, I felt like I, you know, I, I, I opened myself up and, um, and I wasn't, I didn't receive wh- what I was hoping for. And, and, and I need, I need a, a, another place where, where I can get that. 
Yeah. Well, so you honored yourself and you were able to say, well, uh, this is this is who I am, right? And if they are not able to accept me, then I will move on. I think you'd said that earlier in the interview too. Yeah. And uh, so, so you had come a long way by that time, I think. Uh, can you tell our audience any special things that you have done along the path? Uh, counseling is one, em embracing and talking about it is another thing that you have done to deal with uh, depression. Are there any other things that you think might be useful to the audience? And then we can get into talking about your book a little bit more. Okay. Yeah, I I have um, I have kind of a scattershot approach to to, to um, my mental wellness. I um, I try to do a lot of things um, in addition to uh, to counseling uh, and and being open about it. Um, I I am taking antidepressant medication, which um, which is is which I think is helpful. It's really hard to know for sure, but um, but I, I I think it is helpful. Um, I have a spiritual director who, um, you know, I, I talk to about um, about faith issues and and things like that. And and in my in my life, my my faith and my my mental health are very intertwined. So those conversations also go in that direction. Um, I've, I also try to keep myself on an exercise regimen, uh, which is sometimes easier said than done. But when I do, I find it does help some. Uh, and, and for me, writing is very therapeutic. Um, journaling for myself, um, enables me to get, get thoughts out and, and kind of untangle them some. And even more so when I, when I write for other people, um, you know, when I, when I blog or, um, or even write a sermon or something like that, it's, it enables me to, to, to take what's inside and, and and kind of make make an art out of it. I think that's that's been very helpful to me. Um, I'm not a visual artist at all. I can't paint or draw, but but I I think I'm something of an artist with words, and and I think it's helpful to to take the darkness inside and um, and do something artistic with it. Um, yeah. Well, you hear that about music all the time, right? Oh, yeah, People yeah. do music and they'll write a song or they'll just get it out there. And so that's just another way of of helping it to leave leave your your body or your mind. Your, yeah. The mind is part of the body. And so I don't know if you've ever tried any mind-body approaches, like feeling where the depression is in your body and trying to do some of those sorts of approaches. Yes, yes. One of my, one of my counselors was really into that. And um, I've, I've done some of that. I've also, I didn't mention uh, mindfulness has been really helpful as well. Um, you know, sometimes, um, you know, really simple mindfulness but also uh, you know i've i've explored meditation and centering prayer and um you know kind of deeper things like that 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 have been really helpful in in my in my case i find that um that's something that really works for me often only works for a time i kind of need novelty <laughs> for yeah. whatever reason so Switch i kind of cycle i cycle through different things you know meditation um I, I, you mentioned music. I am not a musician, but I can bang out a melody on the piano. And sometimes I just sit at the piano and just play stuff that, that comes into my head. And it's not anything that anyone would ever pay to listen to, but it, but it gets emotions out of me, which is, is very helpful. 
Yeah. And you know, anybody can play like the bongo drums mm-hmm. and uh, bongo drumming is really super cool. If you get a stand and you're standing up and you're just drumming. And if you have another person to drum with as well, that really is neat to do. If you've never tried that, uh, it's really super cool. And you don't have to be a musician to do yeah, it. Right. You just have to think of a rhythm or something and yeah. it gets that energy out, out the energy. Cause you know, emotions are energy and getting the energy out of your body just by talking about it, by writing, by banging out something on the piano, bongoing, whatever you do uh, is releasing that energy in a way that's not destructive. Like, well, some of, some of the times our words can be destructive. Like you had mentioned with your girlfriends, you said the Michael, the Mike treatment, Yeah, that could be destructive to yourself in the relationship. Right. But, getting them down on paper and or banging out a tune on the piano really does help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and put your website up here. And this is the blog as well, uh, www.theschultes.com. And we're going to go ahead and uh, share the screen and take a little trip over there. Okay. So can you see that all right? Yes. All right. Wait a minute here. There we go. Okay. So let's just have you, now I've got on the screen here, I've got your book. Is that right? Yes. All right. Tell us a little bit about your book. Sure. Uh, It's called Dark Water, A Pastor's Memoir of Depression and Faith. And it actually started as a series of blog posts about um, maybe six years ago or so. Um, I, I never quite figured out what I wanted to do with my blog. I just put all sorts of different things up there. But one of the things I started writing was um, a series of posts that I called snapshots of my depression. And I would just, you know, think of a vignette from my past when when uh, you know my depression got really bad and 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 something happened that I thought would be interesting and and might you know people might be able to relate to, and uh, and I I started sharing them that way, and I noticed after I wrote a few of them that that those posts were getting a lot more feedback and traffic than um, than a lot of the other things I was writing, and I thought well maybe there's something to this, so I, I kept writing them, I kept writing them, I kept thinking of more events from my past that really were, um, you know, might, might be interesting and might, might show something about, about how, you know, depression and faith work together in my life. And then after I got to about 20, I thought, you know what, maybe I could even write a book out of this. So I started, um, you know, playing around with how these, uh, you know, these blog posts could be expanded into a book. And, um, after some, uh, you know, after reaching out to a bunch of publishers, I found a publisher interested in the idea. And after a couple runs of some really good editing um, by by the editors there, um, this this book was created, and it is the story of um, of my life from childhood up until uh, a couple years ago. And uh, you know, kind of is is very open about you know what what I was going through, what I did. It 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 explains in great detail some of the stories that that I shared here a few minutes ago, including my suicide attempt. Um, but but I believe it also has throughout it, um, you know, a deep sense of hope because mm-hmm. um, because I got through it and because I 
was able to hear those those better voices and uh, and follow them. And the book's called Dark Water, um, partially because uh, what, where I've really been able to find um, the deepest hope is is in is through thinking about my own baptism. That's become really precious to me in the last few years. Uh, mm -hmm. As you know, as I'm someone who now baptizes, and I I tell people, um, often infants, but I tell their parents anyway. You know that this is God's promise for you that God will always always be with you through everything, and that God will always have a plan for you, and that God will never ever let you go. That's what this means, mm -hmm. and. I've started to really hear that um, and embrace that, you know, just like the, that quote from, from Romans I mentioned earlier that, you know, the, the, the promise of baptism is that um, God is always, always with me. And, uh, and it's, and the water's dark, not because it's, it's dirty and messy, which is what I have often thought about myself, but it's dark because it runs so deep and you can never see the bottom of it because God's love is so, so vast. Wow. Wow. So a baptismal sort of uh, symbolism there in the title of your book, mm -hmm. Dark Water, a pastor's memoir of depression and faith. So there's some light there coming through the water. And uh, sometimes a light can be just another person to talk to or that reaching out or even somebody turning on their garage light and preventing yes. you from hanging yourself. Right. Uh, that's got to be. Uh, that's got to be a really good, profound read. And so it's available on Amazon and at Barnes and Noble. I also noticed that you have up here a newsletter called Biblia Luna. You want to say a little bit about that? Sure. Um, this is, uh, is something I started a few months ago. Um, Biblia Luna is kind of fake Latin for uh, what, what, what it, it, it means, you know, Biblia uh, is to represent the Bible and Luna meaning the moon, but also, you know, from, from the word Luna, you know, comes the idea of lunacy. So the idea of Biblia Luna is it's the intersection of, of faith and mental health. And um, I send this out every week. One, one of the things I do in it is I'm hoping it's, uh, it's, it's a resource for, um, for other people people who preach, um, because I look at the, the upcoming readings in, um, in the lectionary that, that Lutherans and other mainline denominations use. And I find something in the, in the readings that have to, has to do with, with mental health. And, um, you know, I, it, it also can be a just kind of an interesting read for anybody who's, um, who is interested in that. I also each week share some, uh, some, uh, helpful, uh, resources that I'm aware of, um, from, um, websites to podcasts to books, um, uh, as well as you know certain types of uh, of, of therapy uh, that I've mm -hmm. I've learned about, um, and uh, and and just share an update on 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 what kind of what's going on with with the uh, the book and and my my uh, marketing of the book. So it's it's available weekly. You can sign up for it right at the website there. Great, great. So this is a resource that you could use, and it is out every week. Outstanding. Well, I'm going to go ahead and put the website again. It is theschultes.com. And I'm going to go ahead and take us to your blog because I think this is where all of this started. Okay. So mm -hmm. I'm going to share the screen again. So this is your main page of your website. Again, it's uh, theschultes.com. 
And uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your blog and uh, how you actually got started blogging? Um, uh, I, I think um, I started blogging um, about 10 years ago, I guess. And I, I think it was just, I have always kind of thought of myself as, as a writer and, and, and wanted to, to kind of have the opportunity to, to write things that, that, and share them with other people that, that, that they might find interesting. And, and like I said, it, it, you know, the blog has often been, um, kind of scattershot. You, you uh, I can see what you're scrolling through there is I, I do put a lot of my sermons up, um, mm -hmm. for people to read. I also, um, have written, um, some essays about, uh, about various things about, um, you know, some, so, something political that I feel strongly about, I, I'd put up there. Um, some I, I had a series a few years ago where I just um, reflected on on a different number every day. I started with with uh, the number one on January first and wrote some you know long essay about what the word number one means symbolically, and then it went to two and three. And once I was in the sixties, I kind of petered out on that, but that they're still they're still there if you look through the archives. Um, and it's. It's just you know I think I think a lot of what it what the blog is for me is it's it's also um, a kind of a kind of therapy. It's a way for me to get what's inside out. Um, and 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 again, I've found that that people respond to it, and and a lot of people really enjoy reading what I write and and tell me that the reason they do is because it's so um, it's so honest. You know, I I. Um, Oh, I, I'm seeing something else. Another thing that 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 uh, that I find very helpful, I should have mentioned earlier, is walking labyrinths. And this I have is a, so cool. <laughs> I, and I, I have a whole series of whenever I walk a new labyrinth, I blog about it. And I, I, I I'm seeing now that I've I've walked 68 different labyrinths. Um, uh, you know, uh, if if your listeners don't know, a labyrinth is um is a spiritual tool that's that's in um that's that's on the ground and is is often outside although some of them can be inside as well and it's basically a long circular twisty path that you walk um it kind of looks like a maze but it's not a maze because there's no choices to make you just follow the one path in and then follow it back out again and you know people have been using this as a spiritual tool for for centuries and um and ever since I, you know, started walking labyrinths, I I find them to be incredibly powerful for me. I, I experience, you know, a kind of a moment with God every time I do it. And uh, and and again, you know, I, I I blog all about about them on here, and, and not only about the labyrinth itself, but about what I what I wrestled with during that. So. You know, it's so interesting that you describe the difference between a maze and a labyrinth. I always thought they were the same thing. And I've used the word labyrinth to describe like when I put my feet on the ground every day, it's going to be a new labyrinth. It's going to mm. be walking in a different direction. But the way you're saying is there's one way in and one way out. And it's the process that really matters in a labyrinth. So what I'm thinking about is a more of a maze like every day is different and you're walking through your life and it can take a twist or it can take a turn at any point 
And so I'm so glad that you explained to me the difference between the two, because now I'll just start saying maze. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think the word has a couple meanings, but, but in, in, in terms of the spiritual tool, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one way in and one way out. Um, mm. Wow, this is neat. So what the picture we're looking at here was number 68 and you, uh, it looks, it looks a fairly, how long do you think it takes to get through that? Or do you remember? That one, that's a, a fairly small one. Um, uh, you know, I walk it slowly um, and I usually pause in the center for, for a time. Um, so all told to walk in, pause and come out probably about um, 10, 15 minutes. Okay. Some yeah. of the bigger ones can be more like half an hour. Wow. So yes, check out uh, Michael's blog. Here it looks like a little larger one right here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it actually has stones and bricks. It's sort of a more rustic looking labyrinth. Who would have thunk it? Oh my goodness. Wow. It, oh, so I'm not going to show any more of these <laughs> labyrinths because I'll just get down the labyrinth a rabbit hole. But do check out uh, Michael's website and his blog. Uh, you also have a Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that is, is that a group or just some things that you post on Facebook? That's a page, and and most of what that page is is um is my blog posts when they, when they get posted, as well as my Biblia Luna um uh, uh, issues when they get posted, they uh, they get uh, cross posted to Facebook. I don't do a whole lot of stuff on Facebook apart from from sharing that. Um, okay, but there's the Facebook page. Mm -hmm. We've also got you are on Twitter. Are you a tweeter? I am <laughs> to, not to be honest, to be honest. A tweeter. <laughs> I don't even have Twitter on my phone. Like the, the my blog is linked to that and every time I post um an entry it automatically goes to Twitter cuz I heard that was a good thing. <laughs> but yeah, they, I don't even I don't use Twitter in any other way. Um I know I'm not really and right now it's either. you know who knows whether I should or not right now. So <laughs> Yeah, who knows. Uh, so then we also have your book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And then I have this link as well. So that's, that's the first page we went to where we looked at, at the book. So that's, that can be accessed right from the website at uh, thesholtes.com. Great. Well, yeah, I really appreciate you coming out here and just being really honest and candid. Pastors can have depression. Uh, counselors can have depression. We most definitely do. People in leadership can. We're only human. And I think that one of the big takeaways is there's there's that dark voice, but there's always the, another sort of voice that you can access, tune into, and listen to. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for joining us here on Calming the Chaos podcast and uh, have a wonderful day. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Calming the Chaos podcast. If the information in this podcast has been helpful, please consider subscribing and share it with your friends. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, and on YouTube. You can also go to our podcast website at www.calmingthechaospodcast.com, where you can listen to all Calming the Chaos podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.